This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. You're listening to the Indo Daily, but first. When I got out to the Wicklow Mountains, when I came to the end of the line, I, I felt this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. I'm Nicola Talent, and every week you can hear stories about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld on my podcast, Crime World. This was a stitch-up from start to end. I talk to those who get up close and personal with gangsters, mobsters and notorious criminals. They have taught in every conceivable way of disguising cocaine. Crime World is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time of the year when we take a breath and look back at some of the biggest news stories of the year and whether it was abroad in the capital riots or closer to home with Sapone Gate. I had assumed that the Taoiseach and indeed the Green Party were aware of this appointment. The Indo Daily takes you on a journey back through 2021. In my view... It would be irresponsible, it would be unwise, and it would be reckless to invoke Article 16. I'm Siobhan Maguire, and joining me today are fellow Indo-Daily presenters Fionnán Sheehan and Kevin Doyle. So when we look back at the kind of key news events of 2021, we can pretty much kind of start as early as the first week of January because we had those very memorable capital riots. They have broken through that police line. I'm watching as we speak throngs of protesters climbing the steps on the western side of the Capitol. They have reached up onto uh, the terrace of the Capitol. Um, I can see at least half a dozen protesters scaling, literally climbing the walls of the Capitol to get up to where their fellow protesters are. They will go down in history. We will be talking about the Capitol riots for decades because it was so extraordinary and it was kind of the night where CNN became the most watched channel in Ireland and people who probably never even knew they had CNN on their television were going down through the the Virgin Media channels up 200 to whatever, 300, trying to find it because it was just extraordinary to imagine on one level that the crowd had been stoked to this point. I suppose we could see that coming for months and years during the Trump presidency, but that they had been stoked to that point. But then that the police just seemed to fall away and let them through and they could take over Capitol Hill. And you had obviously representatives 
hiding in, in their offices and staff running as they saw it for their lives. It really was a moment of television that I think in a different way to 9-11, obviously 9-11 was a huge tragedy and, and it's not the same thing. But I think it will stand up there when we talk about American politics in years and years to come. The Capitol riots will roll off the tongue in the same way that we are all so familiar with what you mean when you talk about 9-11. Especially because we'd spent the debate during the Trump era had been around extremism, the social contradictions in the United States, the divisions within society there. And within that came the idea of excessive force being used by the police in several massive incidents out of which the Black Lives Matter movement emerged. And all the picture we were built up of the United States was trigger happy police force, they shoot first, ask questions later. And that was the notion that went into people's minds that we saw vigilantism uh, as well taking over. And then on this occasion, we saw a bunch of redneck white guys basically walking up to the cradle of American democracy. And, you know, not since the British burned down the White House during the, the revolution have we have we seen incidents really this, this serious where basically... Capital had been taken over. So in a way, it's so exceptionally serious and let, yet you're actually thinking at the end of it, the politicians almost got off lightly in that their their security teams and their staff were able to protect them and lock them away and, and hide them. So, yeah, no way to, to run a country. So it was probably brought down the curtain on, on the Trump era in, in quite dramatic fashion and just reminded me exactly what he stood for because here was a guy who'd stoked up the crowd and then once they acted he ran away and said oh well, I didn't cause it it was nothing to, nothing to do with me and he wasn't willing to defend any of the people who were effectively acting in his name. And yet it was a kind of stark reminder of, of what is still very much out in force in the States at the moment. I mean, these people have not gone away. Um, they still have their agenda. And even the, the, the very kind of brazen acts that took place on the day, um, it, just, it just made for phenomenal um, colour and copy. I mean, you had these guys sitting in Nancy Pelosi's office. You know, you had a, another guy, you know, with with his rifle in front of him, um, a, a, another fellow that you know was kind of dubbed Jamiroquai, <laughs> <laughs> with the, with the furs on his head, and you know it, it it was it was really quite striking, wasn't it? And worth mentioning in the middle of all of them, we don't know Sullivan Car Savine. Are you proud of what happened here today? I'm proud that the Patriots came out today to show their support for our president because he is Donald Trump is our president. Well, I mean, but what does this achieve? This violence. Uh, are we violent? There's no violence. Nobody's been a violent. Protest. There's people been hurt. Who became a, a, an Irish superstar on the back of it? I mean, he's a national treasure now. Yeah, and, on the, and his his ability to not, I wouldn't say relate to these people, but his actual ability to communicate uh, with people and 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 be un, unflustered was was quite phenomenal. Great, great great journalism to to watch. But it didn't stop Joe Biden from becoming president, did it, Kevin? Yeah, it was like a palate cleanser, wasn't it? Um, this uh, old man who seems like everybody's granddad and, you know, we're kind of looking at him. People question, is he a bit shaky on his feet? Does he have the energy? Does he have the stamina? And at the same time, you kind of went, Ah, isn't it nice to see somebody who kind of says nice things being in charge again? And then we get the added bonus that um, 
he's Irish. Irish? Irish. I don't know. How Irish is he? Well, he's Irish enough that in the past year, he's rang the rugby team when they beat New Zealand. We're really proud of you guys. Great win, man. Really, Great win. Really, really. You know, by the way, when I was down in New Zealand not long ago, I was bragging about you guys. They almost didn't let me off the island. You know what I mean? <laughs> Congratulations, fellas. He's been waving Mayo jerseys around that he's digitally opened a hospice in Roscommon. He's written letters to Vicky Phelan and Adam King. So he's keeping up with the Irish zeitgeist, whether or not we actually believe he's Irish. And I suppose if we made Obama Irish, we'll certainly take Joe Biden. So whatever you think about his politics or how he has been as a president or is going to be uh, in the, the three years or so that he has left there, it is definitely a complete change from the Trump era. And that's not a bad thing. And he's from both Mayo and Loud, so there's absolutely no hope he's going to, they're going to win in All-Ireland during his term in office. <laughs> and of course, one of the low points for, for Joe Biden this year, Fiona, concerned Afghanistan and the, the botched withdrawal of troops. Yeah, American presidents are very often measured in terms of their, their foreign policy, in terms of how they exert their, their military muscle. And Joe Biden very much reined that in. There was an agreement in place about the withdrawal of US troops from Afghanistan after 20 years. And, and you know, Biden will argue, well, he was sticking to the agreement by rolling out that, that, time, that timetable. The notion was that the, the, the local... Afghan army would stand up and maintain law and order in their country. Instead, the complete opposite happened. That army either both collapsed and also didn't, almost didn't exist uh, in its own right. And the Taliban swept to power and and took Kabul. So you are seeing, in this case, where Western Western ideological policy once again fails when you try and impose it upon people in another another part of the world. And then basically, 20 years on, the Taliban were, were back in power. And there were those not only dramatic concerns about what would happen to the people uh, within the country in terms of the suppression of their rights, but also how how would that society function? Uh, how would it, its basic systems such as feeding the the people uh, actually operate and they fear that as soon as the Westerners moved out that nobody would, would care anymore so we had these dramatic scenes uh, at the the airport uh, in Kabul where effectively the West was packing up and chipping out uh, and moving on and people, uh, local people in Kabul trying to get out as well trying to, to flee. Well there are scenes of panic and pandemonium at Kabul airport today as desperate people pour onto the runway trying to flee the country in what can only be described as a chaotic exodus. So Joe Biden ultimately at the time didn't come out of it too well, but he'll probably look back at it in a couple of years time and say, well, look, we were we were right to get out uh, when we did because that war was effectively going nowhere. The sheer desperation of people trying to to flee Afghanistan as well. I mean, clinging on to military jets and and you know falling to their depths and and you have this this mass um, migration. Uh, um, uh, you know, a, a sheer desperation just to try and leave. Women again losing all their rights. It's it's a pretty awful situation. Yeah, and and you were almost seeing the clock being turned back twenty years, albeit there's a more 
more the Taliban were now more into to spin and and propaganda about how things would be different this time. Yet we couldn't see it. There was some some success stories in there. For example, the Irish Army Army Ranger Wing, uh, a, a, a a troop going out to Kabul to help with Irish diplomats to evacuate Irish citizens. That worked extremely well. You saw cooperation really between European countries working quite well together because not really having a whole lot of faith in what the Americans were up to. But you also saw that disconnect, that discord between the various military powers where they really just couldn't get on and and put some sort of plan together. And on January the 1st, uh, when we're all supposed to be making resolutions, we had the B word come into effect, Brexit, and bringing with it lots and lots of problems for the Irish consumer in terms of food supplies, buying from the UK. We had really confusing times here for retailers and businesses, and it hasn't gone away, has it? No, and I know we're not allowed to mention the C word on this particular podcast. Careful, Kevin. But the... COVID may pass, but Brexit never will. We are stuck with it. And I think this year proved that because it happened. They can now, uh, they being the Brits, can now go and get their uh, blue passports and they, they can spend their pounds, which they could do before. They can't travel as easy on their passports. They have all sorts of problems importing goods. They had truck driver shortages, they, uh, other worker shortages because they needed more migrant workers. But Brexit is a resounding success if you are to believe the British government. And I think we all kind of knew that the impact of Brexit would hit, but we thought that one of the benefits of Brexit actually happening is that we could stop talking about it that it would just become the new norm. You deal with the consequences of it, but you could stop debating it because it had actually just happened. And that has not been the case at all because we have seen over the course of the year the temperatures rising in Northern Ireland, the UK government constantly talking about taking us to the brink or what we used to call in the Theresa May era the cliff edge. And somehow we continue to live on that cliff edge because they are threatening to invoke Article 16, which basically throws everything up in the air again, particularly in relation to Northern Ireland. Um, And that is largely driven, Siobhan, by unionists who believe that while there are economic benefits to the fact that the Northern Ireland Protocol allows for trade both north and south and east and west, albeit with some checks along the Irish Sea, that while, okay, maybe it's benefiting them you know, they don't seem to have the same shortages in a lot of shops uh, or petrol stations that they have on the mainland UK. But the unionists believe that it is driving a wedge between them and their queen. And that has been the story of Brexit so far. Actually, that's very impressive, Kevin. I think you've managed to tell the story of Brexit there uh, so succinctly. I might just point out a lighter side of Brexit in that uh, the year was bookended by uh, Peppa Pig at the start of the year that we, you know, we might not be able to actually get these lovely sweets anymore or they may go up in price to, of course, Boris's comments recently. People will have the confidence to stay nearer the place they grew up to start business. And Tony, yesterday I went, uh, as, as we all must, uh, uh, to, to Peppa Pig World. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to, hands up anybody who's been to Peppa Pig World? Not enough. 
Boris Johnson has taken back control this year and yet utterly lost control at, at the same time. Uh, people aren't really convinced uh, by his act uh, anymore. And you're wondering, you're looking at him now going, There's, he's not a guy with a plan. He's basically just, just winging it here and getting found out. Um, and that's very true, Fionan. Although... Least listeners be mildly confused, Siobhan. I do feel the need to point out the difference between Percy Pig and Peppa Pig. So there hasn't been a shortage, as any parent in this country will tell you, there is no shortage of Peppa Pig. He's everywhere. There has been a shortage of those pigs, the pink ones you get in Marks and Spencers uh, because of Brexit. So they're two different things, but this just shows you how confusing Brexit can be, doesn't it? Thank you very much for that clarification, Kevin. Well, as if Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney wasn't kept busy enough with Brexit, there was another small matter that kept him terribly, terribly on his toes this year. Well, the small matter of the appointment of the Special Envoy for the Freedom of Expression to the United Nations. um, Now, Simon Coveney saw it as quite the small matter and didn't really feel the need to do a whole lot about it except appoint one Catherine Zappone, the former Minister for Children, but it became a very, very big deal over the course of several weeks as he tried to defend that appointment, which happened without any real due process at all in, in how the selection was made for that role. And, you know, what should have been or he would have hoped would have been a story that would go away quite quickly. It just stuck. I mean, it was around for months and months and months, still cropping its head up even now. It gave the public an insight into how insiders operate. And that's what that's why it captured uh, people's attention. And what you did see in in the middle of it was a very experienced politician in, in Simon Coveney, deputy leader of his party, almost became Taoiseach a couple of years ago completely letting all that power go to his head and just believing that anything that he said and anything that that he did was was right. He not only messed up the appointment in the first place, but he then messed up the cleanup of the appointment. He had a chance to roll back tie it up, show a bit of humility, show that, yeah, I've learned lessons from this issue. But instead, he just doubled down on it and decided, I'm right and all you little people are wrong. And that's where things started to really go go wrong for him. The, the, the issue here is, as is always the case, different parties, ministers meet before the cabinet to go through the agenda, to make sure everything's covered and so on. I had assumed that the Taoiseach and indeed uh, the Green Party were aware of this appointment before Cabinet. And that was a mistake because they hadn't been. We also had thrown into the, the mix a foreign minister who who didn't say no and expected to get a, a lot of attention once she asked for something to, to be done. We had at one point the Minister for Foreign Affairs and the Minister for Finance in the middle of all those Brexit crises and COVID-19 that, that you're, you're talking about and Tanisha as well all texting each other about whether or not Catherine's appointment appointed had been appointment had been been sorted out or not add in the the fabulous locations across leafy south county south uh, dublin that were frequented by these people from the the garden of the marion hotel where she had her her little soiree to celebrate her her time in in politics to the piglet 
which everybody initially thought was a nickname for somebody, but it was actually a, a wine bar uh, inside in in the in the city centre. So it all portrayed a picture of basically fairly elite people that were utterly detached from the reality uh, on on the ground. It played out really badly. You saw Simon Coveney's career. Basically, there was a point at which you thought, this guy is in serious trouble here. Is his job uh, actually on the line? He did face a motion of confidence and, and survive that. But there was legitimate criticism being being put put forward of him. And you saw his other colleagues being, being dragged uh, into it as well. Ultimately, you did see how the Taoiseach Michal Martin and the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan had to, had to stand by him and they ultimately got through it. But Catherine Zabon had to be sacrificed. Once there was a choice between Simon Coveney's head or Catherine Zabon's head uh, on this issue, it was quite clear who was going to lose. It's very easy to, to laugh about a lot of this now in hindsight, the piglet, the text messages, the deleting um stuff off your phone because of data uh, to data storage um, but there is actually kind of a few serious points at the heart of this which I think was very damaging to politics and to Fine Gael in particular uh, one is the fact that having appointed been appointed as the special envoy for freedom of expression Catherine Zappone said very very little so she never actually has answered much question. She had a couple of statements, most notably when she had to, to step back from the position, but she has refused to come before an Oireachtas committee to discuss all of this and to clear up exactly how this came around because people still have a lot of questions about what happened, even though we all have at this stage moved on from the, the controversy itself. And then there was the Leo Varadkar link and Marion Gate, the party in the Marion during COVID restrictions when the rest of us thought that you weren't allowed to go out and have a retirement party or a birthday party or whatever you might be having, a christening party. We all thought that wasn't allowed. And somehow she managed to have 50 guests in the Marion and Leo Varadkar among them, who later went on to amazingly tell us that he hadn't broken any laws because it wasn't in law that that you couldn't have gatherings of that size. And he probably hadn't breached the guidelines and probably being the key word because whatever about the guidelines which were subsequently changed in the days after that, he certainly broke the spirit of what the rest of us thought we were following. And then there are some other things that um, made the headlines during the year and really stood out as kind of prominent stories. And uh, my own personal favourite is that of the uh, MV Ever Given, which in March of this year basically um, caused a a logjam in the Suez Canal, um, leading to shortages in the supply, global supply chain that we're still feeling now. And then there was um, a a fantastic television show made in South Korea uh, that was probably, with the exception of Succession, one of the best things I watched this year. And that's um, Squid Game. Green light. I hadn't predicted in all the things you might see coming in a year that the entire country would be cozying up with their tea and chalky biscuits uh, to watching South Korean subtitles, uh, subtitle television. It was a very strange television show, but it's funny how these things some sometimes just grasp you. And I gather the guys who were the stars of that are now going on to multi-million euro careers that they could never 
have imagined. But my outstanding question from Squid Game is actually related to another story which stood out for me, um, Siobhan, which was the inability of anybody to win the lotto. And that quote from Bernard Durkin, the Fine Gael TD, who was suggesting that Sherger had a better chance of winning Squid Game than actually winning the National Lottery, which went to 90 million and stayed there week after week after week. So it's funny how it got so much into the zeitgeist that a TD like Bernard Durkin, who has been around by for decades, is using it as a reference for the National Lottery. Definitely one of the most kind of confused stories of the year, it has to be said. And I still haven't got the answer. Maybe Fiona knows to whether or not Bernard Durkin has actually knows what Squid Game is. Probably not, but it was a good soundbite and it's stuck in everybody's head. Great. Absolutely. Can we talk about uh, some of the big crime stories of the year, perhaps just even touch upon the fact that the monk was arrested? The monk was arrested in Spain, which is pretty huge, to be honest, because this goes back to the Regency hotel attack and the monk has been on the run for quite some time. There was a European arrest warrant out for him. And then he goes out for dinner one evening in the Costa and lo and behold, the Spanish cops accompanied by Gardaí swoop on him. And he has since come back to Dublin where he's made it quite clear that he is going to fight the charges against him. And not just that, he's going to fight the idea or the plan for him to be tried in the special criminal court where there is no jury in relation to that. But a huge development this far on from the Regency Hotel for someone like the monk to be arrested. And that will be a huge trial whenever it comes to pass. Two other kind of crime things probably worth mentioning. One, the cyber attack on the HSE, where we had the hackers looking for a ransom of $20 million to basically unlock the computer systems in the HSE. During the night, we have been the subject of a major ransomware attack, a cyber attack. It's uh, quite a very sophisticated attack, not just a standard uh, attack that happens in these instances. It is impacting on all major national and the local systems. Um, when we became aware of it, we obviously have to take priority actions and the immediate action is to try immediately contain it. They didn't pay it. The computer systems, we're told, are more or less back up now months later. That was back in May. Um, and it kind of gave the HSE a lot of... It created a lot of problems, especially with everything going on with COVID. It also gave the HSE, I feel, a fair bit of cover for how pretty bad they can be Uh, admin stuff a lot of the time as well and then the phone scams Siobhan is the other thing mightn't strike people as crime but it very clearly is and some people got caught out on those phone scams I've been told revenue are going to have me be knocking at my door any day looking for their money if I don't get on ring back to them I think it's easy to laugh at in some ways but I think probably for a lot of older people those scams which just were everywhere endless they probably caused some people a lot of stress this year The fact that they were able to kind of mimic um, numbers that looked identical to our own as well. I mean, these are very sophisticated scams. And 2021 will go down as the, the last chance to save the planet. We had our own climate action bill in this country and then a big focus on Glasgow throughout the month of November for COP26, where nations were supposed to come together in, in a, a unified purpose and ensure that previous agreements would actually be implemented. It comes down to this. The people alive now are the generation to come. will look at this conference and consider one thing. Did that number stop rising and start to drop as a result of commitments made here? 
There's every reason to believe that the answer can be yes. If working apart, we are force powerful enough to destabilize our planet, surely working together, we are powerful enough to save it. And at the end of it, you weren't really clear whether the agreement that was actually put in place was actually all that much of an improvement when you did have the larger industrial nations and the the larger carbon emitters seeking get-outs here, there and everywhere. So the sentiment was quite positive from the world as a whole, but the actual action at the end of it just seemed to be lacking once again. My thanks to Kevin and Fionnon for joining me today. Well, today's episode was presented by myself, Siobhan McGuire, produced by Tabitha Monaghan, with sound design by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips with thanks to independent.ie, CNBC, CNN, AFP, The News at One on RT Radio 1, Netflix, independent.co.uk, BBC News, News Talk Breakfast on News Talk and Sky News. You can listen to the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts.